Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, uh, my question is for Justin. I've been looking at RSP as well as SPYV and comparing the two. Which of these would you recommend? And provides unbiased answers. First off, I'd like to congratulate you on your thinking and your understanding that just buying the S&P in this environment is probably not the best way to go. And there are ways to adjust that while still making decision-making easy, easier. But you're kind of splitting hairs here. So you might want to just do 50-50. Invest Talk. Over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our February 7th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. Excuse me. I'm Justin Klein. I'm happy to be here and I'm ready to answer your finance and investment questions. And on this radio show and program, as always, we are going to help you navigate a volatile and unpredictable market. And many of you have seen the current circumstances play out in the market of uh, tighter liquidity, bigger swings, especially in larger cap stocks, which is an indication of tighter liquidity in the marketplace, and the shift, the shift in the cycle that we are experiencing. And so a lot of investors, especially new investors, who poured a ton of money into the market over the past couple of years, they are wondering what's next, how to navigate a new market. And this market is transforming into something really we haven't seen since 05, 06, a normal market, a normal interest rate environment, or more normalized, excuse me. So on this podcast and show, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success, which means I'm going to speak on various subjects, financial, investment related, and all of it, I'm going to present it here without bias. I'm going to give you the facts as I see them in front of me using my 20 plus years of investment experience as well. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to your liking. I can speak about whatever is on my mind, whatever. I have a lot of topics to bring up so much to discuss, especially in today's world. But ultimately, interacting with you is most important. So you can interact with me right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time, or you can leave a message on our Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, that number never changes. It's 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, would like to get your opinion on Encore Wire Corporation. The ticker symbol is W-I-R-E. I just want to get your opinion on the business and what you think of the valuation. Thank you. Interesting here. Encore Wire Corporation. They're engaged in the manufacturing of electric electrical building wire and cable. 
It supplies building wire for interior electrical wiring in commercial and industrial buildings, homes, apartments, and manufactured housing. So all types of cables that uh, are in high demand right now because of consistent building and demand for housing. Last year, they're supposed to make $22.50. The problem is, is that this year, they're supposed to only make $9.89. Now, that's still very good, but it's down 56%. So you can see the normal normalization of earnings and that they're over-earning currently. And so you might look at it and say, oh, the P is only five. Well, remember, you have to you have to adjust for a more normalized earning environment. And if they can stabilize around seven, eight, nine bucks a share, I think it's cheap. But pre-pandemic, 2019, they only made $2.77 a share. Year before that, $3.74. Year before that, $2.61. So you're talking about five years before the pandemic, they were averaging two and a half, three dollars in earnings. And in that environment, is it worth $112 per share? Probably not. And if you look longer term, the return equity is uh, high single digits, low double digits, which is okay, but certainly not fantastic. And their free cash flow in 2019 was $54 million. What's that worth for a slow growth business? Because pre-pandemic, they were definitely a slow growth business. Probably only worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $700, $800 million. Now it's a $2.2 billion market cap. So... While it's interesting, I don't like the, the the earnings trends, and my expectation is they'll trend back to previous earnings, at least close. To, even if they're close, even if they're five dollars, it still makes this a twenty something times multiple, which is too expensive for a slow growth business. And so, I don't think they have an economic moat, so I'm going to pass on it. And the technicals have rolled over, gone from one fifty all the way down to one twelve. Tested the two hundred day moving average, and this bounce has been. Not very inspiring, so I'm going to pass on W-I-R-E. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this statement. Investing is a long game. Now, if you found the market volatility of late unsettling, there are ways to reshape your investment thinking in your portfolio so that the volatility doesn't alarm you. So we're going to look at this in context to what you've seen and what you've experienced lately. I also want to highlight what's happening in the electric vehicle space and all of the companies that are public. And there's been some controversy lately as well as some major losses. And I want to highlight these because there are, there are lessons to be learned, a lot of lessons. One, one is easy, which is don't just follow story stocks. But there's just more that goes into that, and I want to dig into the details there. Also, I want to highlight some things that CEOs are saying on their earnings announcements. About half of the S&P 500 has announced earnings so far this year and or yeah, this for the fourth quarter. And there are some big takeaways and I want to highlight what they're saying. And then lastly, is fracking in a decline? What could that mean for oil markets as a whole? So we're going to look at that as well. Let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P, that was down 16 points, so about a third of 1%. The NYSE, brought in indices, that was up 21 points, a little over one-tenth of 1%. So 
it was broadly a very modest up day, kind of a pause day in the markets. And we still remain. If you look at the go, if you go watch my video on YouTube, which I posted uh, on Saturday, you'll see I show the broad trading range the NYSE has been in really since last April, May timeframe. April's when the NYSE broke up into the 1600 range. And we've basically been trading between 1600 and 17,200. Sorry, did I say 16,000 and 17,200? That's kind of the range that we've been in. So about a 10% range in the broad markets over the past 10 months or so. And despite the large sell-off in tech and, and, and SPACs and a lot of high multiple junk stocks of late, and even the Facebooks and Netflix of the world, the broad indices have just been in a broad trading range uh, overall. So uh, I'm really looking for which way do we break out? Do we break up or we break down? So far, it's just been a retest of those lows around 16,000 on the NYSE. So uh, the NASDAQ today, let's take a look at that. COMPQ, excuse me. That was down 82 points. So you saw that general weakness uh, compared to the broad market. Small caps were up. So definitely had a little bit more weakness in uh, the tech space. Facebook down another 12 bucks today, hitting a fresh 52-week low. Uh, and you had you had a lot of weakness. Netflix down another 8 bucks. So you continue to see this rotation out of growth and into value. Should not shock anyone. Now we're back into... A quick break, but I'm here and ready to answer your investment and finance questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart This is Invest Talk, and it sure seems like the new year is moving fast. Soon, we'll be halfway through the first quarter. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Sid in Canada. He wants to talk about Google and Facebook. Hi, Justin. Good evening. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, looking for taking both these positions uh, for a long term. I have currently very small positions, and uh, Facebook is down significantly, 25-plus percentage, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Google is also in the right range. If, let's say, we have a 10K, do you think that both are equally good? I'm just trying to do the fair comparison. Should I do the half-half or only in the one, one of them? Which one would be your choice? Thank you for your answer. No problem. Uh, it would absolutely be Google. Uh, I think Facebook is a dying platform and there's just so much competition and regulatory scrutiny around their business model of, of collecting data and, and selling uh, ads. Also, uh, the uh, advertisers are pulling back from platforms like Facebook. Monthly active users are now negative for, for Facebook. They're really reliant on uh, global growth uh, here in the U.S. It's definitely in decline. Even Instagram, which has kind of held up their, their business for a long period of time, that shows the deterioration in their engagement and, and monthly active users as well. And uh, not only that, but just showing the history of uh, internal documents of how 
bad Facebook or Instagram is for young teens, especially teen girls, and how they kind of know knew about that, uh, and, and just the the regulatory scrutiny that will will come with that. I think there's so much more uh, to watch out for when it comes to Facebook. Even though it's down, I, I think it's down for good reason. And I think it values much, much lower than it is today. I think it's a uh, business could be uh, shrinking as opposed to growing. And you saw earnings down 5% year over year this, uh, this fourth quarter. So I definitely would not touch Facebook for a, a long period of time uh, unless it gets stupid cheap, which would be under $100 a share. Now it's at $224 a share. So until it gets to double digits, I probably wouldn't even uh, think about uh, picking it up. Uh, Google, it ha- does have regulatory risk there. But it's, I think, less clear on how to uh, crack down on, on Facebook, on Google's uh, platforms. And YouTube, YouTube is just uh, such a powerhouse and has, has, has such a steady growth there. So I would not buy Facebook at all. And Google, I like, but I, I also think that's a little bit overvalued. So I'd be patient on that as well. I think that needs to be closer to, to 2200 uh, and that would be a good pickup for Google. Let's go to Al in Arkansas. Wants to talk about BTI and Philip Morris. Yeah, I heard your uh, comparison between the oil industry and the tobacco industry. And so mm-hmm. I looked into um, the tobacco industry and I thought BTI was especially outstanding. Um, I'm just wondering if you could compare between uh, British American and Philip Morris. Well, they're, they're similar in, in, in some ways. Uh, Philip Morris has invested in a lot of alternatives, kind of smokeless tobacco uh, and uh, you know, e-cigarettes, things like that. And it, it's much more diversified than uh, BTI. BTI has uh, big exposure to menthol cigarettes, which uh, has some regulatory uh, risk there, but it, it's always been kind of hanging over their head, and they haven't really uh, went ahead with it. So that's that's kind of uh, to me the some of the big differences. Obviously, it would take probably an hour to go through all of the major differences. But Phil Morris is about a sixty percent bigger market cap. It's it's more global, and. Uh, obviously sells uh, Marlboro and, and a lot of other um, uh, other brands. Which one's better? I think that depends on depends on your risk tolerance level. Uh, if you're looking for more growth or you're looking for more stability, I think BTI has more potential for growth. Whereas Philip Morris, that one has more global diversity, just consistency, more consistency of cash flow. But both I like. Both I think are are good investments at these valuations. Now it's a very busy invest talk, and we have had nonstop calls, and we love that. So bring them. We love them. Give us a call. We're heading into a break, and I'll return to answer your questions. You pick the topics. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. What is a charitable remainder trust, a CRT? What are the biggest downsides or drawbacks to a CRT? Learn the answers to these questions and many more in a special interview this Thursday, February 10th on Invest Talk. And now the phone lines are open. Justin and Steve welcome your calls. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on the story 
behind this statement. Investing is a long game. And so far in the month of January and, you know, month of February has been much better. But the SP dropped about 10%. The NASDAQ nearly 20%. You nearly had a bear market there. And over the last few months, small caps have had a bear market. They were down over 20%. And for a lot of people, that amount of volatility is, is worrisome. And they've many have thought, how can they reshape their portfolio to take advantage of the dips and maybe to avoid a market spiral or an investment spiral? Sometimes the market can hold up, but if you are overly concentrated in a particular sector or type of asset, you can have much larger drawdowns than the broad indices. And so this is where diversification definitely helps. And that's something I think a lot of people have learned as of late, especially newer investors that uh, focused more on stories and, and tech and don't understand multiple contraction. They don't understand how interest rates impact the markets, uh, how investor sentiment can ebb and flow dramatically. All of these things are vital to be aware of when building your strategy, building your portfolio. Now, we've seen multiple weeks of volatility and many newer investors start to question their strategy and what they can do to protect their portfolio, but also maybe take advantage of the opportunities because there's always opportunities in the market. And it's, rem it's important to remember that you're always going to see ups and downs. But that doesn't mean that you just hold blindly and not have a plan and ignore the signals that the markets are sending you. And that's what a lot of people do is they fall in love with a story. They fall in love with a stock. And despite what the market signals, meaning price, is telling you, they stay with those companies, even though the trends are no longer their friend. And this goes back to understanding your risk tolerance level. First off, this is why when I talk to clients, I say I, I, we, we take, have them take a risk tolerance questionnaire, which if you ever want to do it, we have a free one over there on investtalk.com. Just go on the best talk tab and do risk hit, hit risk questionnaire. You'll find it there. Uh, and that's where we start. Say, okay, you're invested like uh, your risk tolerance level is this, so 1 to 99. Maybe they come in at a 57, but then their portfolio comes in and they, sh they, sh they share that with us, and it's a 82. And that means that the volatility within the portfolio that they're going to experience is probably going to create distress because a 57 portfolio looks a lot different. The volatility you experience in a 57 portfolio versus an 82 portfolio can be drastically different, especially in times like this. And so it's about creating a portfolio that you can hold through downturns and then executing that, 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 pro, that amount of risk based on the current market trends. Because you can, you can take the same amount of risk in two different portfolios but have drastically different outcomes based on the underlying market dynamics. For example, oil companies are expensive. No, sorry. Oil companies are volatile. Let me say that again. Oil companies are volatile, but so are tech companies. 
if you had oil companies over the past six months, you've done fantastic. If you've had a lot of tech companies, you've done terrible. But they're still both above average risk level, probably most of them 80s, 90s on the risk scale. And so it's not just about targeting your risk profile that makes sense for you, but executing a strategy that is going to put the odds in your favor in this type of market. So if you're newer to the market and you're worried about market volatility, that's how you need to think about it. Start high level, overall risk tolerance level, then drill down to your strategy and fit the current market environment and build a strategy and investment portfolio that fits your risk tolerance level. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Pool Josh one says, please explain. Hey guys, new listener, newish trader. Can you please explain what you mean exactly when a stock is coming into resistance and support? Are you seeing a lopsided order book? Was, uh, wasn't sure what data you're looking at exactly. So support and resistance, that's complete technical analysis, TA, technical analysis, looking at the chart. And there are various, there are various, uh, aspects that can create support and resistance. It might be a moving average that might create support and resistance. It might be a previous what we call pivot point. So if there is a high and it's pulled back from that high and then it heads back up to that high uh, point, that pivot point, it's probably going to find resistance at that pivot point in the future. And so that's what you might be looking at. It might be Fibonacci, Fibonacci retracement, kind of the ebb and flow and cycles of the market. And uh, you know that, that's something to, to look at as well. And then it can be a confluence of factors. It could be a consolidation uh, zone where the, the stock had consolidated previously. So there's a lot of factors that go into support and resistance. And it's really just learning and understanding how to read charts. Now, the next and best talk, the story behind this question. What do rising interest rates mean for dividend stocks? But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. 
This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations, you found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line, 888 99Chart. Hi, uh, my question is for Justin. I've been looking at RSP as well as SPYV and comparing the two. I'm trying to figure out if I'm investing on a constant basis, a couple hundred dollars every month, which of these would you recommend? RSP is S&P 500 and it's equally weighted, and SPY is S&P 500 value ETF. And, you know, if I'm looking at a five to 10-year road, which of these would you uh, recommend uh, which would you know perform better. Thank you, and I'll be listening to your answer. Thanks. First off, I'd like to congratulate you on your thinking, your understanding that just buying the S&P in this environment is probably not the best way to go, and there are ways to adjust that while still making decision-making easy, easier than buying individual stocks, right, and just getting a broad diversification of the S&P 500. Now, you're looking at two similar but different ETFs. One is the Invesco S&P 500 Equal Weight ETF, the RSP. So what that means is it's not weighted by market cap, where if you buy the S&P as a whole, you're weighted by the largest companies and, and, and basically their market cap as a whole, and those are the ones you're getting uh, the most exposure to. Whereas Equal Weight, you have 500 companies, uh, it's uh, about a quarter of a point a percentage for each company uh, that goes into, or I guess 0.2% uh, for each company that's in the index. And so uh, it's, it's, it's about equal there. That's what they call it, equal weight. Whereas the S&P 500 value ETF, that's going to be only leaning on the companies within the, within the S&P that are value focused. So Berkshire Hathaway is the top holding there. That's 3% of the overall uh, fund. But there's still 449 of the 500 uh, investments, but obviously weighted towards the value side of the market. And if you look at the Morningstar style box, what you can see is that the value ETF has a little bit bigger companies. They both lean value, both lean towards large cap value, but the equal weight is kind of leaning a little bit more blend and a little bit smaller. And so I kind of like the fact that you have a little bit smaller companies overall, because 
those longer term, talking five, 10 years from now, those tend to have more upside because you're investing in smaller businesses that have uh, less downside to destroy capital. Think of Facebook and Netflix as of late. And you have smaller companies that can really grow over time because they maybe don't have giant market share. They have a good business, but not giant market share. And so if I'm picking one or the other, I'm going to go with the RSP, the equal weight, but you're kind of splitting hairs here. So you might want to just do 50-50, honestly, because you're both leaning towards the value side of the market. So, uh, But I like your thinking. I like where your head's at. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot to the opposite side of the spectrum and talk about green energy stocks, more particularly electric vehicle startups, etc. And as of late, they've been hit on multiple fronts from just higher interest rates and the decline of um, Ponzi stocks and uh, high multiple stocks that are out there. And then you have wave of investigations of uh, some SPACs that have made fraudulent claims misleading claims, and growing skepticism in the space as a whole. And some have seen shares down 75% and even more. Now, a lot of these SPACs that have gone public over the past year, year and a half or so, are running into some major trouble because they, while SPACs have their advantages, one of them is they can make forward-looking statements. We have an IPO, you can't do that. The problem is, is that you make forward-looking statements, you could mislead investors dramatically, and that can create lawsuits. So just because you can say something doesn't mean you should say something because remember, you ha- the, the leaders of these companies have a fiduciary duty to shareholders to give them reasonable information, reasonable expectations. And if they diverge from that too dramatically, they can get sued. And that's what you've seen recently. One is Electric Last Mile Solutions. And the CEO and chairman resigned after an investigation showed that both men purchased equity in the company below the market value than what investors were were paying during the SPAC in 2020. And they also said that the financial statements might be inaccurate and would be restated. That's always a giant, giant, giant red flag, and shares are off more than 50% in a week. Another Faraday Future said that they did lead mislead in investors when they said they claimed had 14,000 reservations. Well, what they really had was 14,000 emails of people that were had interest, indicated interest in buying which is a big difference than actual reservations. Those shares down 25% over the past month. And then you have SEC investigations into companies like Nikola, Lordstown Motors, and they've been sued. Both of them have been sued. Uh, Trevor Milton of Nikola has been charged with three counts of fraud. And on Thursday, short sellers targeted both Nikola and Lordstown, alleging that the new technology that they touted, uh, actually, excuse me, that they had, they, uh, Hindenburg had recently targeted Nikola and Lordstown, excuse me. Now they're targeting standard lithium, saying that their new technology they touted for uh, lithium production hadn't really worked. And it was just all a story. Those shares down 25%. And 
this just goes to show you that stories are just stories. And it's very easy for companies to get away with misleading investors, especially in today's world where white collar crime just isn't really punished that much. You have fines, you maybe settle for some sort of restitution and uh, maybe short jail time. It's usually not that big. And so the upside of bilking investors for millions and millions of dollars is much higher than the, the downside of basically, you know, fines that amount to a lot less than they built from investors. So be aware of this, understand when you're investing in a story versus when you're investing in real companies. Okay. So, uh, it'd be very interesting to see how those play out, but just a microcosm of how everyone got bought into the EV talk and EV stocks, and they don't realize, they don't look at the underlying business, which frankly, uh, producing cars is not the greatest business. Remember that this is invest talk and let's move in to our iTunes review questions. Nick says, I bought into Illumina in the low 300s. I was wondering if you think I should add more here. They're growing revenues at a healthy 35% annual clip. And their grail acquisition to cancer uh, for cancer detection is already rapidly generating revenues. It's trading below its 2018 highs. And I think it's a good long-term hold. I-L-M-N is the symbol. And this is a actually money-making biotech company one of the larger ones out there 55 billion dollar market cap the issue here is that earnings are expected to decelerate dramatically this year to four dollars and nine cents down from five dollars and 72 cents in 2021 down 28 percent and currently it's trading based on four dollars in earnings what's that a, a 90 80 pe <laughs> uh yeah it's just too expensive to be honest with you. And that's why I would avoid it. It is on my watch list. I like the company. I like the cash flow, but the technicals remain pretty bad. And if you look at its its multiples, enterprise value to EBIT is 41 times. Historically, it trades uh, more like 20 to 25 times. And that's during a period where these type of companies were always trading kind of expensive. So I like its cash flows, I like its business, but I don't like its valuation yet. And I don't like the technicals. So you got to line up all of those things. Otherwise, you're just going to be glutton for punishment in the near term. Our fair value is much lower around $235 per share. Around there, eh, it starts getting interesting. But still, even if you go based on 2020, Free cash flow of $900 million. It's free cash flow yield is still only 2%, maybe too low. So I'm going to pass on Illumina, but I'm definitely keeping it on my watch list because I like the consistency of its cash flows, consistency of its profitability, but not cheap enough yet. And the chart is not lining up. Now let's grab another caller question that came in earlier from South Carolina on 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Bryce calling from South Carolina. I was just looking at a portion of my portfolio targeting dividends and cash flow. Uh, I was wondering if you could look at Global Net Lease, GNL. 
I noticed that it has Series A and Series B preferred shares. So I was wondering if you could clarify the difference between what exactly preferred shares are and uh, what the expected uh, difference in return or price might be on those. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you on the show. All right. Preferred shares. This is a good one. Now, a lot of people think shares and they try to connect that to shares of stock. And in reality, what you should actually think of them more as debt. It's fixed income. Because that's what these preferred shares typically do. They tr they pay you a consistent rate of interest every single year, a dividend. And they can oftentimes call that bunny that call that back and they pay your principal back and that can be that can be nice. But the problem is is that you aren't you don't have a claim on the profits of the business. I mean, the upside of the business, if the business goes booming, you don't get a piece of that, you just get your agreed upon level of dividend. So when you're looking at them, it's in on the capital structures between debt and equity. That's they call preferred shares. So if they go bankrupt, the debt holders are going to get paid first, then you, the preferred shareholders, and then the common equity shareholders. But if a company goes bankrupt, most the vast majority of that's going to be vast majority of their assets they sell off are going to go to paying off the debt holders first. So that's why I don't like it. You don't really get the upside of the business and you don't really get a lot of the downside when things go bad either. You don't you don't get that protection. So I wouldn't go with the preferred shares. Now, when it comes to this business, they this is a REIT that owns 278 single-tenant net lease commercial properties in the U.S. and Europe. It looks like it's globally diversified. Let's see what type of real estate. Office, industrial, distribution, retail. So it's it's fairly well diversified. That's interesting. Okay. So I like that it's it's diversified. It's not focused on one part of the, the, the commercial real estate market. The problem here is that very little growth. And I think you're chasing yield here. Uh, I don't think they're going to be consistently paying that dividend. And if you look at their dividend, it's actually been in decline. 2018, they paid out $2.13. $2019, $1.60. Went back up to $1.73 in 2020, but trailing 12 months, only $1.60 again. So, and they have a decent amount of debt. Their cash flow is okay, uh, but they're issuing shares in order to pay that. So I'm going to pass on it. Let's go back to your questions next on Invest Talk. So hang on. Should you have a trust? And if so, what type of trust? On Thursday's Invest Talk program and podcast, Justin Klein will play an interview he recorded with two trust experts. They have more than 30 years of experience in advising high net worth clients regarding complex trust and estate planning issues, as well as business, real estate, and charitable planning. What is a charitable remainder trust, a CRT? What are the biggest downsides or drawbacks to a CRT? Learn the answers to these questions and many more in a special interview this Thursday, February 10th on Invest Talk. And now the phone lines are open. Justin and Steve welcome your calls. Invest Talk. 
888-99-CHART. Hello, we'd like to get your opinion on Old Dominion Fort Line. The ticker symbol is O-D-F-L. I would like to get your opinion on the business as well as the valuation. Thank you. All right. Looking at Old Dominion Freightline, ODFL is the symbol. Provides less than truckload interregional and national motor carrier services throughout the U.S. So it's in the transportation trucking business. Including this is in high demand. The issue is that technically it's rolled over pretty uh Pretty big ODFL. There we go. Yeah, test the 200 day moving average. It's bounced and it's failed on this uh, recent bounce. And my issue here is that trucking rates are, are coming down. And once again, this is over earning. Pre pandemic, it made $5 a share. 2022, it's only supposed to make, make $10.81 a share, $12 a share next year. But the chart is telling me that that is going to trend back to pre-pandemic levels. Now, how long does that take? I don't know. But it's it's probably not going to stay with this valuation. And it's trading at 35 times earnings. Even if you go by forward earnings, it's still trading at the high 20s. So technically, fundamentally, uh, it's overvalued. Uh, I would absolutely pass on this. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 99Chart. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. Just wanted to say thank you for all that you do. Really appreciate all the um, expertise. Really has helped me. I'm calling because I'm interested in looking at a company called Sunopta, S-T-K-L. It's a small cap dealing with plant-based food products. And I just wanted to get your thoughts about it. And again, thanks a lot for all that you do. All right, looking at Sun Opta, and this is one of the largest producers of alternative milks, plant-based milks. So think of soy milk, almond milk, and their big growth driver is oat milk. Oat milk is definitely in high demand. And you think of Oatly, O-T-L-Y, that's that symbol. Uh, the the good thing about Sunopta versus Oatly is, hey, Sunopta is actually making money. Twenty twenty one, they're expected to make a a whopping two cents a share. This year, ten cents a share, but it's trading at five dollars. So still fifty times forward looking earnings. And the technicals uh, remain relatively weak. I don't want to say relative; they they absolutely look weak. And free cash flow tw- trailing twelve months is negative sixty six million dollars on a five hundred thirty seven million dollar market cap and they're issuing more shares 89 million shares outstanding in 2020 now 100 million shares outstanding and that's really the the issue here any company that is burning cash and needs to fund its operations through issuing shares is going to see their price of their shares continue to go lower 
Now, I will say technically, it starting to, tr I think, try to find a bottom. And I think at some point, this is a good buy because I like the longer term prospects of these companies that produce alternative uh, milks. They also produce fruit-based foods and beverages. I think of uh, strawberry and mango, frozen mango, uh, fruit cups, smoothies, purees, et cetera, stuff like that. So uh, I like that. I like the return on equity picture over the last couple of years. looks pretty solid. And they're, they're adding capacity as well. So I like that this is on your watch list. The problem is, is that technically it's just not firming up uh, quick enough. And uh, I think this does more downside, maybe to, to three bucks. At three bucks, then you can start uh, getting excited about it. But I'm not excited yet at five, even though the chart is getting a little bit better, but not good enough. Thanks for the call. Lastly, let's touch on oil, because I think this is extremely important in uh, today's environment, is the fact that the frackers are not growing as fast as they once were. Now, about three and a half years ago, we were in the midst of the shale revolution, made the U.S. the world's largest oil producers. Texas, New Mexico, North Dakota produced tons and tons of these shale wells, and output was booming. But as of late, those frackers are suddenly becoming more, more cautious and their projections for growth is a lot lower. Now in boom times, they were growing, uh, for example, Pioneer Natural Resources. They previously were growing their output by 15 to 20% per year. Now they're guiding to only a 5% increase. And a lot of this has to do with their lifespan of their business. If they grew at 15 to 20% per year, for Pioneer at least, they would be out of wells in about eight years. But if they're more cautious and only grow 5% a year, they can last 15 to 20 years or more. And maybe even technology gets better over that time and they can squeeze more out of their wells. And so what's interesting here is the change dynamic, the shift towards the power of the energy market moving back towards OPEC and how much OPEC spare capacity there is. And I, I worry that OPEC has already not been able to live up to their production goals as of late. And then if you have frackers, which has been the marginal supply in the energy market as of the last five years or so, if they're not also increasing their supply very fast, but demand continues to go up with opening of economies worldwide, as well as emerging markets growing the way they normally do and their insatiable demand for energy. I could see oil prices at $200 a barrel within the next few years. And so this is really, really big, especially when you have a Fed that's trying to fight inflation. $200 oil would be mighty inflationary. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Your positive rating helps spread the word. And if you leave your question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. 
Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 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 